0: This is Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. I'm your host, Amy Breslow. Each week I invite a different guest to share their personal experiences regarding gender and gender issues. When I use the word gender, I mean the range of social roles, personality traits, attitudes, behaviors, values, and relative power that society assigns to females, males, and other individuals. Gender is an identity that is learned. How we define gender changes over time and can vary within and across cultures. This podcast is recorded at my kitchen table and may contain sounds of life from my home and neighborhood in Washington, DC. Episode 19, Possibilities, Part One. This podcast began out of a desire to support the ongoing conversation around gender in the United States. After six months of hearing people's thoughts and personal stories, I'm taking a step back and sharing responses on a few specific topics. First, I wanted to reflect on recent changes and new possibilities in the gender space since the Me Too movement took off a little over two years ago. Specifically, responses to the question, what do you think is possible today that was not possible even a few years ago? I left it to my guests to interpret the question as they liked and to go wherever they wanted to go, which wound up being all over the gender spectrum. There were so many thoughtful replies that I'm devoting the next two episodes to these responses. Part one highlights the possibilities that now exist around accountability and awareness in the post-MeToo era. Part two explores issues related to gender identity, orientation, and expression, and the many generational changes underway. Several voices highlighted in Part 1 have been heard as full episodes over the past few months. In addition, I'm pleased to include a few folks you haven't heard from yet. One of these new voices is Margaret, who identifies as herself and uses she-her pronouns. I really appreciated Margaret's perspective as someone who has seen fundamental change in attitudes towards gender over the course of her 80-plus years of life.
1: Well, I think... um... For women in a position where they are uh, treated unfairly or touched in ways on a regular basis that they don't like, there is a way of... They don't have to put up with it. They don't have to just assume that's the way it is, um, which I think is very good. Um, So that's something that's possible now in terms of uh, something can be done about it. But I remember my daughter, Victoria, who was... um, Really, a very beautiful young woman. I don't know if you've never met her, but she had um, dark red curly hair and very fine features, clear, fair complexion, and a nice figure tall also. And um, people would just look at her. When she graduated from high school, she wanted to go to California and be a model. I was so much against that. Oh, my God. And then also, one of the reasons why I was against it is I thought, she's going to have to screw around. She's going to have to sleep with whoever it is that she wants a job from. And that's no life. And I remember talking to her about that. And that goes back to uh, 1956. Hmm. That I was aware of that. And now I'm thinking maybe that doesn't happen so much anymore. That women have, it's possible now to pursue something, say, in, in uh, acting or performing or whatever, or w- a variety of fields, and you don't have to worry about being preyed upon by those who are in power. But at least it seems to me that there are the mechanisms now, and it's uh, um, people are so aware of it now, that the... Uh, the opportunity is there, hopefully. Yeah, maybe I'm too too naive or optimistic.
0: The next few voices highlight the kinds of conversations that were deemed unlikely or even unthinkable a few years ago. First up is Kat, who identifies as a Persian woman and uses she-her pronouns.
2: Honestly, a lot of the conversations about gender weren't even possible a few years ago. I remember, um, you know, having gender discussions between talked about as pet rocks and, you know, it was, you know, everybody thinks of things in terms of let's talk about stability and security and, you know, male focused issues with ignoring the entire half the population that you need to make sure are included into every discussion. Um, I think it's very clear now that, that women need to be included how that happens, I think is still, you know, the devil is in the detail. So I think the recognition that women need to be included is there. You constantly still see mantles and a mantle would be a panel of only men, um, often even talking about women's issues. So which is absurd, but I think that there certainly in um, most of the things that I am involved in, there is a recognition to make sure that there's a diversity of voices. So that's changing. um, And even symbolically, that is huge. So conference include, you know, high level women to, you know, they will go to, you know, very extreme, you know, um, efforts to try and make sure that women are included. Um, so I think that even symbolically that things are changing that weren't that simple before we'd have to actually like push and beg and ask for. Now people are coming to us to say we want to make sure that there is a woman, you know, with significant experience and that we could have on this panel Um, or to be the face of this. And so I think that that is a huge change that wasn't something that we could have done before.
0: Mary Catherine identifies as a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, a lawyer and a playwright, and uses she, her pronouns. She focused on new possibilities in the workplace and what that may mean to people of all genders.
3: I think it is now possible to have conversations in the workplace that we couldn't have before because it's not even it's not even about legal changes because I'm a lawyer and I love legal changes. It's a cultural shift. We had laws preventing rape, right? Um, but we had we needed to have that cultural shift to say it's okay to accuse someone as powerful as Harvey Weinstein, right? It's okay to accuse someone that's that powerful um in fact our culture our society is going to support you and he's going to be held accountable whether or not it's in a court of law we're not going to revere him and look to him as the god of hollywood because we don't hold in our culture if you're a rapist you can't be a god right so that's the messaging that's coming out and i think for a lot of women who work in in places that trade on power which is pretty much everywhere in america it was it was always clear if the person with the most power in the organization raped you, what, you know, what, what, I mean, if, if you did speak up, you were, you were excommunicating yourself from that institution or that community. And I think that will, that will still be a reality for some women who speak up just because, I mean, it's not like our our entire country, you know, changed overnight, but we're in a transition period and it's an exciting transition period and I think the change happened much more quickly, you know, in a large proportion than I think anyone ever anticipated. And so I think any man who thought it was okay to rape, obviously that is just ridiculous. But so it's not it's not that conversation that men are now having. They're not that's not, oh, is it okay to rape? Is it not okay to rape? But it's the other conversations that are also flowing from that in terms of it's changed the conversation well, actually, it's created a conversation that never happened before, where now men are having to think about, well, if I say that I love that dress on her, you know, how is that going to make her feel? And that's frustrating to a lot of men. But actually, that's really great for women, right? That like, if I don't want my body discussed in my workplace, I don't have to sit and listen to men discuss my body. That's my choice now, right? I get to say, and if I do like that, and if I'm like, Harry, every time I walk in into the office and you see me in a dress you like, I'd love for you to say that. Great, then then great. You know, women can say that too. But before the rash the, the I mean the underlying assumption was if a man wants to compliment a woman's butt in her dress or her boobs or her whatever, I mean, it could be her right elbow, he gets to do that. And now the assumption is actually you have to you have to respect women. And I think the more the more autonomy we gain over our bodies in our, in our society, the, the more we're going to gain just politically, you know, in every other arena, you know, whether it's in the government, whether it's in the federal courts, whether first, you know, U.S. president that's a woman. I mean, I think everything's possible now.
0: Chloe, who identifies as an openly transgender woman and uses she-heard pronouns, made clear in no uncertain terms that accountability lies at the heart of what is possible today. One word, accountability. I think that's the huge difference right now. Women are just saying enough is enough. In fact, enough was enough centuries ago, but we're, we're basically saying no. This is this has got to stop. This is time for people to be held accountable. We are dignified human beings, treat us that way. End of story. There really is nothing else to it. And. It's remarkable to see how how empowering this is, to see women do that and see men realize that this is not bluff. This is actually women showing real solidarity and saying, no. Chessie identifies as an Armenian Franco-American woman and uses she, her pronouns. She pointed to the many new platforms for sharing personal experiences and the growing number of people who feel empowered to tell their stories.
4: I think it's very easy to get frustrated with any kind of roadblock that pops up, especially in these movements like Me Too, Time's Up, the Women's March, etc. But it's really good to get some perspective and just compare where you are now to where you were five years ago, ten years ago, last year. Um, I think the possibilities now, I mean, they're almost endless if you think about it because you have so many platforms upon which you can tell your story and I think that that's that's the most important part is that people are finally starting to feel empowered to tell their story and how amazing is that and how sad is it that we waited this long to be willing to hear these stories and listen to the woman telling them and I feel like I feel that once you get to that point where you're willing to listen, you know, the the options are endless. They're limitless. You can really, you can start to question societal norms, question the laws that are in place that are upholding these norms or not. Um, you can challenge your representatives and ask how they are trying to advance gender equality and uh, trying to prevent gender discrimination the just it opens the door for conversation and once the dialogue starts to happen then I mean you're good right like that's really the first step and once you've broken down that barrier I think you can really that just offers a whole world of possibilities what that looks like practically now I'm putting like the implementer's hat on what does that look like like activity wise I don't know but I really think that once you actually let people talk and share their story and are willing to have and host a dialogue, the options are endless.
0: Amanda identifies as a biracial woman and uses she, her pronouns. She talked about possibilities that encompass both the Me Too movement and the aftermath of the 2016 elections.
5: Hmm, that's interesting. I mean, sometimes I kind of feel like I'm in a twilight zone because I think that we're almost relitigating um, issues that I kind of thought that we all agreed on. But we've also talked about this, that with the um, elections and everything that, you know, I think that it was a, a wake-up call to, especially people on the left, to realize that there is a very large uh, portion of this country that has a different value set that deserve to be heard, that feel that they have been um, left out of the process, and that their, um, you know, grievances are not addressed or thought about, and that you know, every four or eight years, a certain population really comes out and votes and decides, you know, enough is enough. I want to be heard, and that's what happened in this last election. And I think that it's very easy to um, be black and white and say, you know, they're wrong, I'm right, you know, they're all crazy, and we're the smartest, you know, they don't believe science, we do, you know, it's very easy to get into that um, kind of frame of mind. But really, I think that, I think that there's a lot of us that don't even understand each other, you know, that we don't understand that there are, if you've never lived in a um, liberal state, or if you've never lived in a conservative state, the kind of, the issues that are important to them and their values are different. And, and, you know, that is part of being in a melting pot mm-hmm. that we have to somehow, um, respectfully come to a common ground and understanding. And, um, I just think, I think what's possible now is I think we have a moment of reckoning. Mm-hmm. I think we have a moment to say there isn't this part of the population that we're going to ignore And that there isn't a, you're right, I'm wrong. We Mm -hmm. have a, we, as much as the news likes to constantly say, this is the most polarized it's ever been. This is the most political turmoil there's ever been. I mean, that's just not necessarily true. I mean, there, I think about a lot, like in the sixties, I wasn't around in the sixties, but that in the sixties, there were African-Americans getting killed in the streets I mean, this wasn't that wasn't that long ago, right? And at that time, or maybe even under Nixon, people said this is the most turmoil there's ever been, you know. Um, and so I think everything is all relative. But as disappointed as I am with the political conversation right now, I think that we do have an opportunity to at least increase our awareness mm-hmm. and realize that all Americans do not feel the same way about certain issues mm-hmm. and that there are um, large uh, portions of the population that the left and the right don't understand Yeah, because the left is watching MSNBC and the right is watching Fox News. And so if I'm only talking to people that agree with me and that are just reinforcing my beliefs, you know, then if I switch over to MSNBC, it seems like, whoa, these people are you know, so extreme and so radical um, because we're never having that, like, middle ground.
0: Mercedes, who identifies as a Latina woman and uses she her pronouns, underscored how the Me Too movement has impacted women of color and transgender women and the kinds of conversations now possible that would have been considered far too radical in the recent past.
6: Well, I do think, you know, the Me Too movement has opened so much up in in the ability to talk about issues like gender-based violence. I think that what wasn't possible um, a few years ago that is possible now is is looking at something uh, looking at the us to movement, um, which is the you know women of color responding to, the Me Too movement. And um, a lot of folks, well it depends on who you talk to, will point to Alyssa Milano as being the, you know, the person who started the Me Too movement. But um, there's a woman named uh, Tarana Burke, who, since 2006, has been using the term Me Too in advocacy, in in awareness about sexual violence. And, And she is not credited often enough and, um, she's of and she's a woman of color absolutely and and a wonderful activist as well and so I think that what was impossible was to have that sub-conversation you know, um, to have, you know, again, Me Too has millions of followers, which is, you know, fantastic and wonderful. And um, Us Too has hundreds of thousands. And I think that hundreds of thousands would not have been possible before. That that conversation around gender and the intersectionalities of of race would not have been possible, would have been seen, I think, as way too radical. Um, Because Me Too has allowed that to to be a conversation and so we can add to that conversation with us too and and so i think that that's that's what i think is is interesting we can bring in those those intersectionality um those intersectional points like um, being transgender or being uh, a woman of color or um, other, you know, whether it's, it's religious minority and, and gender, how that plays, uh, comes into play. And I think we can have more open conversations about
0: that than we could before. Zeev identifies as a cisgender heterosexual woman and uses she, her pronouns. She talked about workplace harassment and changing levels of awareness in both the personal and the professional realm.
7: I certainly think that one of the things these latest, really important movements have, have uh, made possible is um, taking these complaints more seriously. So, if I go up to my supervisor today about a a behavior that's very much explicitly harassment, um, I think that I my story will be taken more seriously. Mm-hmm. I think it raised the level of awareness and and made everybody kind of take a good look at their own actions and their own behaviors and and certain things that they assume to be just an everyday conversation or or comments that are oh so commonplace we can we can talk about these things it's okay to behave this way because it's just we're just we're just joking around I think that it highlighted how important um, those comments, those jokes can be on someone's life, the impact of of that, especially if it's happening so often that it's increasingly putting that person who's on the receiving end in a position of feeling powerless.
0: Zeev had experienced this kind of harassment firsthand, and I asked her to talk about it
7: the harassment in the workplace was really a daily occurrence. It was the subtle comments about, you know, sleeping alone at night and what that must be like to, um, I actually one day walked back to my desk and someone was going through my trash and said that that's when I asked if they had accidentally dropped something in the trash and they said, no, no, this is this is my way of getting to know you better.
0: Oh, my God. Are you kidding? No, that was. That's incredibly invasive.
7: Yes. And, and when I talked to my supervisor about this, um, his response was, oh, you know, well, you should take that as a compliment. He wanted to get to know you better. Wow. So why don't you go sit down and talk to him? <laughs> so all of these things were kind of like, no, oh, you should be happy that people are interested in you. That just means that they like you. You know, if you're being harassed, that means that they like you. I remember being, you know, constantly asked about, oh, but what are you? What is your ethnicity? What you, you look very exotic. You look this way. You look that way. It was just, it was too much to handle. All, the, I mean, all the time I, I had to have almost like flashcards of how do I respond when this is told, when, when I'm told this? Because it just happened so often, again, that I almost felt like I was on autopilot, totally expecting to be, um, to be facing these questions on a daily basis.
0: Did you ever talk to the other women in the office?
7: Yes, yeah, yeah. and and again, I I think that we were all kind of the same. Oh well, this just this is this is how it's supposed to happen, right? Like the, those are the the older men just making fun and and trying to maybe compliment the little petite girls that's unfortunately that really was that's how it was and I can't looking back on it now I can't believe I was not outraged all the time Mm -hmm. I'm outraged now thinking about it and I can't believe how all of those things all all of that behavior was just assumed to be oh that's just how things are
0: See, for what year, was, or let's say approximately what years did this take place?
7: This is between 2010 and 2015. Wow. So we're not talking about decades here. <laughs> we're definitely talking about just a couple of years
0: ago. Brian identifies as a straight white man and a feminist and uses he, him pronouns. He unpacked a number of possibilities for men and those who identify as men that exist in the post-MeToo era.
8: the possibilities are enormous and especially for men's radical transparency and authenticity just within my little social circle having the the friend who's the feminist researcher and activist and everything means that they're kind of careful about what they're saying and you know a little bit checking themselves a little bit more and that is Big, Like when you, okay, that's like a teeny little thing within my social group. And I have amazing friends (laughs) in general, but you also see, I hope anyway, a similar thing happening nationwide where like guys and like folks in privileged positions in our country have to realize like, you can't just get away with anything anymore. And all those things that you think you got away with maybe you actually didn't and maybe like the time has come in now and to see that sense of like impending accountability bubble up in my male peers and powerful men in our country and even you know like high schoolers and boys and you know folks of all ages, I really welcome that from the side of all men and boys who certainly benefit from, these privileges and certainly folks who know that they have caused some kind of harm through their behavior you have an opportunity now and people are working on the the tone the scripts the standards the criteria the language the examples of how to be i'm going to keep using the word radically transparent and radically accountable like Open up about what you did. Actually validate somebody else's experience of what you did. Speak your truth to it in a way that really honors the harm that you caused. Hear what harm has been caused and what you can do to help mitigate that or change that. Demonstrate very clearly the changes that you commit to make, have committed to making, the evidence of transformed or changed behavior in your life those are really fascinating and useful conversations and they're rich and they're ongoing. I mean, I have really no patience for people who have this narrative that, you know, the Me Too hashtag or um, victim survivors bravely bringing forward their stories is just some kind of like gotcha game where it's all just political stunts or, or something and trying to spin it so that, powerful men who cause harm are somehow the victims in this perverse patriarchal view. No, there's not a gotcha thing ongoing so much as the way I would try to spin it to my male friends and colleagues and everyone, an opportunity for us to embody something completely new, which is transparency and accountability and just trying to, yeah, own and learn from the harm that we've caused and I'm, I'm interested in that. I don't have a solution. I don't think we do. And I think it's important that whoever is the most harmed dictate what, you know, a solution look like. And that's certainly not me. Those are, I think you asked me something like, what are the possibilities now? And I think the the possibilities that excite me in thinking of kind of, you know, the the masculinity viewpoint is we're figuring out now how to make amends for our harmful behavior and that's that's exciting you know and and difficult
0: sam identifies as a born-again feminist and uses she her pronouns sam is a graduate of west point and has worked in and with the military throughout her entire career she explored how recent changes have created new possibilities in the area of leadership both in terms of senior leadership and for young people coming up in the military today?
9: I mean, I think, I think today that there's a lot that's possible, but within my own context, within the the government job that I have, I can have a conversation with someone about what is LGBTQI and what does that mean when I'm trying to be a servant leader? I could not have had that conversation five, 10 years ago. Um, it was it was a very uh, different it was a very different time back then. It was it was a you know it was a time that was a lot more difficult. And what I see now, specifically with, you know, young folks coming up in my organization and, and I'm watching their leadership, what I've noticed is is men and women are able to lead a lot more authentically. And that is super exciting. I love that younger men and younger women are able to enter my particular workplace, which is pretty restrictive. It's very prescriptive about how you're supposed to behave, but they're able to question. And that is something that I don't think would be, and and there's a gendered aspect to that, right? Specifically younger women questioning or younger men, because when you talk about gender, there's also that age disaggregator that you can have with it as well, right? You know, wait your turn or um, whatever. And, and I think that I think that that's another thing that's been really exciting for me that I don't think we could do before. And I, and I also think that people having the vocabulary to describe their experiences and then hopefully leadership understanding that this isn't just something that happens outside of our organization, it's everywhere. And I'm really deeply sad about how much of a problem it is in a lot of organizations, um, specifically the military. And I think that, I think that the leadership is recognizing that things like Me Too and Time's Up, that they're driving the need for them to adjust their leadership styles from the top and to hold people accountable. And that is a conversation I don't think we could have before. So it's very multifaceted, but I think that it's, I think that making space for the Me Too conversations is making space for the theoretical underpinnings of why these things matter. And then specifically when you talk about leadership, like why does it matter from a leadership perspective that we, you know, that we care about this stuff? You know, it's about creating, you know, and and leveraging diverse teams and making sure that everyone is heard and, creative, safe, and creating safe spaces for people to you know, to get their jobs done, right, whatever those may be. And, and so for me, that's the exciting part, especially when I work with a lot, um, like much, much older gentlemen. Um, and then I, ex- and you know, we'll be talking and we'll be talking about gender, you know, because we talk a lot about women, peace and security. So we'll, I'll teach them the basics. And then a lot of times I'll ask them just as you ask me, you know, is there anything else that you want to know about? And they'll lean in and they'll go, could you tell me about this LGBTQI stuff? And, and I'll say, okay, great. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's unpack it, right? Let's talk about how you as a leader can be a better leader by understanding these things better, respecting them, and then being more inclusive. So so to me, that's a huge win. That is, If, if, if we get nothing else, that's a huge win.
0: As I said in the start of the show, I was really drawn to wanting to go back and listen to all of the various possibilities that exist today that didn't exist even a few years ago. I think it's so easy to become discouraged or to feel as though we're not making the kinds of progress that we'd like to make. And personally, I found it very encouraging and very helpful just to see how far we've come. I also deeply appreciated people who spoke about a moment of reckoning or a possibility for a moment of reckoning and the wake-up call that we still have in many, many aspects within the United States. This is just part one of reviewing the possibilities. Next episode will be devoted to new possibilities in the space of gender identity, expression, orientation, and in particular, what evolutionary and generational changes have been taking place. All of this I find incredibly exciting. So I hope you'll join me next time for Episode 20, Part 2 of Possibilities. You've been listening to Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. Your Own Voice is produced by me, Amy Breslow, with IT support from Alex Moreno, and is registered with Protect Right, music by Kevin McLeod. I see each conversation as an adventure, and I love being surprised by where we go. If you found you had any questions during the conversation, I'd really like to know. You can submit questions on the website, yourownvoice.org slash contact. Thank you for joining us today. I'll be back in two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well.